at Southwestern, some is a God University online, and one's a church history course. Here we are. That's not the... Yeah, there we go. We're back on. Okay, we're back on track. But let me finish this. Now, let me just read this scripture. So, uh, cut, take two. Here we go. Now, our Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever things you release in heaven will be released in heaven. Whatsoever things you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. The church has always been the central focus of where God promises to meet us. There's so many passages of scripture we could look to to verify that. Let me uh, just go to this book right now because if you happen to be interested in reading, this is a great read. Students that I have always love this textbook. It's How Christianity Changed the World. That's the name of it. If you're interested and you want to get a little more about it, I'll have it here afterwards and you can get the information. You can get it off of Amazon or anyway. Anyway, it's Alvin Schmidt is the, the guy who wrote the book. Now, I'm not here to give you a book report, but the reason I mention that is he just gives a remarkable catalog of all of the contributions that the church has made to the world in which we live whether it is in science or education or human rights or whether it's health care or, or, or governance, just on and on the list goes. And the church has always been such a focal point. Sometimes it's driven underground. Sometimes they are great cathedrals. But it is the means of grace that God has established through which you can count on the presence of God mediating his presence to you through the church of Jesus Christ. I had an interesting event happen years ago when I was pastoring in Las Vegas. And one of the times I spoke here before, I think this is number four, I did speak on the church, so I don't want to belabor this. And I can't remember whether I told you this story then or not, but it happened. I always got to church at 7 or 7.30, uh, real early in those days because we had multiple services and that sort of thing. And I'd just be preparing things. And I, I was in my office and I, there was an uh, exit door, a back door out of my office, not the main entrance to the church offices, where I could step out. And, and I heard something pounding on the wall outside my office into that stucco wall that was there. And it startled me. And I went out and I opened the door and there was a man standing there with a claw hammer pounding the walls of the church, pounding them. I said, what are you doing? And it startled him. He didn't know anybody was there. And he took off and left. And I didn't know what was going on. Later that week, I got a phone call. And it was the man who had been pounding on the walls of the church. He said, I just needed to call and tell you it was me that was pounding on the walls of the church. He said, every time I drive by that church, my heart starts bothering me and I'm under conviction. And he said, I was so angry at the church that I pulled over and I wanted to tear it down that morning. And you know, I ended up leading that man to Christ. Just the visible witness of the church was there. 
And so I just want you to understand that the church is a means of grace. It's a sacrament. And that's why there should always be such reverence and a sense of expectancy that we have. Because the church is a means of grace that God uses to speak to our lives. Now I've got to keep going. You know, one of the problems when you get... You know, I'm, I'm not an old man yet, but I can see it from here. And some of you that are young saying, well, you look pretty old to me, but anyway. And one of the problems is there's so many different things that you can say that you can preach forever. So I'm going to leave that there. But the church is a means of grace. Baptism. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I'm not a Catholic. I don't believe that baptism is what washes away the original sin of an infant. So if they die in infancy, then they can go to heaven and don't have to be stuck for all eternity in limbo. But it is a command, isn't it? That we be baptized. Now think of your baptism to your marriage with Christ as a follower of Christ. As what the wedding day is to your marriage. It's the day that it becomes public. It's the day it becomes official. And that's why in the early church your salvation wasn't complete until you had been baptized. There's the confession of faith, there's repentance, and there was baptism. Now one thing, and one of the reasons why I think adult baptism is so important, is you will never forget the day you were baptized. Now if you're like me and you grew up in church, I got saved so many times. We used to have evangelists coming. And uh, every, time they, every, time we, every time they would come, uh, in those days they would try to literally scare the hell out of us to get us to the altar. And um, so I don't know which time it took. My oldest son, who grew up in church, uh, he was in Sunday school. I was pastoring in Santa Cruz First Church in those days. And after church one Sunday, a Sunday school teacher came up to me and said, uh, Pastor Stan... We're just concerned about your son, Robbie. We gave an invitation to accept the Lord in Sunday school today, and, and Robbie didn't raise his hand. So I was wondering why. And so my son, Robbie, who always has been a thinker, and he still is, isn't he, Cherie? I said, Rob, I told him what the teacher said. And I said, why didn't you raise your hand? He said, well, Dad... I've accepted the Lord four or five times already. How many times do I have to do it? <laughs> so, the time that you're baptized in water, that is like your spiritual wedding day. If you haven't been baptized in water, if you have children, encourage them. I'm not too concerned whether you get dipped or dunked. But you do need to get watered. Water baptism. It's a sacrament. It's a means of grace. It's a point of always reminding yourself of whose you are. It takes you back to that time of that marriage between you and the Lord. 
Scripture is a means of grace. And here's the passage. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now there are some curious passages of Scripture that I don't know what they have to do with me today. And my kids are glad that I'm not being literally Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, I read it just a couple of weeks ago in my Old Testament readings. If you have a child that is being disobedient and, dis- and being um, disrespectful, you are to take them out and stone them. Now, there have been times where I felt like I could kill one of my kids. But I've never seriously thought about doing that. Okay? But having said that, there's nothing that is in the Bible, Old Testament or New, that is there by accident. The Holy Spirit has never looked down and said, oops, I didn't know that was in there. So what makes it the living, eternal, inerrant Word of God? It is the combination of Word and Spirit working together. Everything that is in there, just like these light bulbs, are designed by an electrical engineer to conduct electricity and illuminate this room. So is the Bible that way. But if these light switches are turned off, the light doesn't shine, does it? But you turn the switch, and all of a sudden it illuminates. What do you suppose is the illuminating ingredient that speaks through the written word of Scripture. Holy Spirit. How many of you have had this happen? You're reading, maybe, maybe it's come to mind when you're at a point of decision in your life. <clears throat> but you look at a passage of Scripture and all of a sudden, those words leap off the page And that is a word of God for you right now. How many of you have had that happen? Most of us have had that happen. That's a sacrament. That's a means of grace. And that's one of the reasons why I think it is so vitally important that we feed on the written word daily. How many times has this happened in my life? I know it's happened in yours. Something you have read in Scripture... Now it becomes the applied word of God, the enlivened word of God as you encounter it. It's a means of grace. If you neglect scripture, you have neglected a sacrament, a means of grace that God has provided to bring illumination, direction into your life. And it's the Holy Spirit that will give a sense of priority or timeliness to how that scripture applies to you. But it is a means of grace in your life. Preaching. That's what you're enduring right now for a few minutes. It's proclamation. In the book of Acts, the way the word of God always went forth was through proclamation. It was the spoken word. And here's the scripture that goes with that. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Now every pastor, every preacher, better take that task 
very seriously. Because you've taken time out of your day, out of your schedule, trusting that what this pastor is going to say right now is something that the Holy Spirit has spoken into my life, but it is intended to be conveyed into your life. Preaching is not to be about my private revelations or my dreams or just a collection of stories. But everything I say or any preacher says is to be prophetic in this sense that it is forth-telling or unpacking the message of the written word as it speaks and applies to you right now in your life today. There was a curious thing that happened. It, it, it happened not too long ago when I was speaking. But when I pastored at Calvary, I always made it a point of trying to get to the back door and, and greeting as many people as I could on the way out. Uh, if I didn't know them to get acquainted with them, you know the drill. And so many times... Someone would come up and say, Pastor, it's just like you were in my living room this week. And, you, and what you said spoke directly to my life. And they would go on to make the point. And I would be very gracious and thank them for their kind words. But in my mind I'm saying, that had nothing to do with the point I thought I was making. Am I such a bad communicator that you misunderstood it? No, but in this dynamic that's happening right now, I don't know how to better describe it except to say the Holy Spirit is hitchhiking on my word as I speak it right now and writing it into your ears and into your heart and giving it the application that God has for you in your life right here and now. That's a sacrament. That's a means of grace. That's something we need to give our attention to. How many of you have had the Holy Spirit somehow just arrest you through the spoken word in a church service, through a message? It's a sacrament. So this is another one of those means of grace. And that's why it's so important that we give attention to what the Holy Spirit may be speaking as we come together in the presence of the Spirit, and listen for what God has for you in your life today. Prayer. Out of James, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. I'll tell you, the older I get, the more I realize I'm not in control of my own life. I used to, when I was, was younger, I would pray, but if this didn't work out, I could always find a way to make it work, or so I thought. But the older I've, got and hopefully, oh, I've gotten, and hopefully the wiser I've gotten, the more I have realized how vitally important a daily prayer time is with the Lord. I've also come to realize that the answer to the prayers, one, is not always what I thought I was praying for. Sometimes the change is within me, not in the circumstances. 
Or sometimes there is a delayed reaction. It might be years. But then the answer comes. But those prayers are so vitally important. There was a lady I pastored years ago. She, was a, uh, she served the Lord alone. Her name was Louise Sakinas. And um, she would always bring the... Ch- uh, she had a beautiful garden at her home, and she'd always bring a beautiful bouquet. By the way, these flowers are gorgeous here today, aren't they? I guess she had them last Sunday for Easter. Anyway, they're great. But Louise would always bring the bouquet of flowers, but she would always be praying for her husband, Eddie. And she prayed for his salvation for 30 years. I went away one summer for three or four weeks. I'd go back on the East Coast and take some classes and study. I came back, and lo and behold, Eddie Sokinas was sitting next to his wife Louise in church. Now that had my attention. So I went out to their house that week and I talked to Eddie and I said, what happened? He said, you're not going to believe this. However many days ago it was, a couple weeks, three weeks, I was sitting out here in my garden and he said, an angel appeared to me and said, Eddie Sarkinas, you better get your heart right with me. Well, I don't know what to make about what literally happened in his yard that day, but I do know that was an answer to the prayers of Louise Sakinas for all of those years. Never tire of praying. And make your prayers to the point. Sometimes we are so abstract and vague in our prayers that even the Holy Spirit can't figure out what you're asking. Sometimes we pray in another language. I do. Sometimes I pray in English. But I always pray. And it's so important that prayer is in your life. You are Martin Luther. And I can't match this nearly. He spent 3 hours a day in prayer. And he was asked one time, Dr. Luther, if you didn't spend so much time in prayer, how much more could you get done? And he said, I wouldn't get done what I am getting done. He says, in fact, tomorrow I've got so much to do, I'm going to have to pray four hours instead of three. Now, I'm not saying you have to have these marathon prayers. But pray. Have a list of the people you pray for. Every day I try, to, I, I try to pray, mention in prayer, every member of my family. Churches and upcoming services and whatever it might be. Practical needs. Personal needs. But talk to the Lord. And talk to Him just like you would talk to your wife or your best friend. You can even get mad at Him. He can take it. You'll be apologizing later. But he can handle your thoughts and your feelings. But prayer is a sacrament. It is a means of grace. A royal priesthood. This is out of 1 Peter 
You are a royal priesthood, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What makes a church function is the body of believers. The body of Christ is the part of that church. And I'm telling you, there are no useless members in the church. There's a place for us all. Whatever it might be. I remember Angie Tedesco. You didn't know her years ago. She was bedridden because of severe stomach problems. And I went to visit her. And she'd been so active in church life. And she said, Pastor Stan, I just feel so bad. Because all I can do is lay here and pray. I said, Angie, there's no more important thing you could be doing than praying. Whatever it might be. Whatever that role is, whether you're cleaning the church or fixing the sweet treats after church today or whatever it might be, these are all important things that we do. And there is a place for every gift and every one of us. We are a royal priesthood in this same chapter. Like living stones, we are being knit together to build this household of faith. Find the place where you can stand and serve and where you can make a difference. And let me just say something good for you out here in, in Overton. I, you, none of you were here then, but when I was pastoring years ago at Calvary, uh, we came out and we landscaped this front yard one time. This, has been, this, was, this had to be in the 90s, I guess, is when it was. Anybody here in the 90s? Oh, there some of you were. You, anyway, Calvary Community came out. We were one of the churches that came out and helped out in those days. And, you know, congratulations on your faithfulness. I think you could feel like the red-headed stepchild in a family. Uh, like, why doesn't anybody want to come out and pastor us? And here you've been, what, a year and a half without a pastor or two years or whatever it has been. And I'm honored to come out here and just want you to know how uh, pleased I am that the Lord's using me here and every other one that's here. But what I want to say is good for you. You're holding together and you're a strong, healthy body of believers. And God bless you for what you do. You know... And I think there's some great days ahead for you. I, you've had some great days in the past, but blessings on you. But you're a pre, it's the priesthood of believers. That as you hold together through thick and thin, God honors that and blesses it. And without you that have held through uh, for all these years, I don't know, this might be sagebrush brush blowing through right where I'm standing right now. But you're part of the body of Christ and God's placed you here. You are a royal priesthood. And God can use you, and you never know when God's going to just do something extraordinary. And I've learned a long time ago that the size of a church or the remoteness of a church has nothing to do with the vitality of a church. You're a royal priesthood. Marriage. I'm getting close to the end here because I don't want to keep you too long. This is an order of creation. This is a sacrament. It's one of the seven, sa seven sacraments in the Catholic Church. And for good reason. And here's a scripture that goes with that. It comes right out of Genesis. 
That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they will become one flesh. This is the marriage is the oldest institution on the face of the earth. It's older than altars, it's older than the priesthood, it's older than temples or sanctuaries or churches. This is the cornerstone of a civilization. And I am utterly and completely convinced that one of the reasons why our country and our nation is in trouble right now, and it is, is because of the breakdown of marriage and home and family. And it is his satanic unmajesty that is behind that. I got really angry at something I heard our president say this week. Because there's a lot of controversy in our country right now about what's being taught in the schools. And I heard him say it. Now he's the, he's the, he's the um, king of gaffes and maybe this was just a gaffe. I hope it was. But he said, your children are ours when they are in the classroom. You know? Now, whether he meant it or not, that is out of the pit of hell. You see? God did not create the state to raise your children. And one of the reasons why there is such trouble in some of the inner city ethnic communities, I'll take the African American community as an example. Do you know before the 1960s, before the launching of the Great Society, about 85% of all African American homes were intact families in the city? You know now it's 75 to 80% of those same kids that are coming from broken homes and usually it's the father that's absent. Do you think there's a connection between that and all of the problems of crime and violence and drugs? Do you think there's a connection in that? Of course there is. You are married, as you are first of all a husband or a wife as unto the Lord. Secondarily, with relationship to one another. More than once in marriage counseling I've done, and it's happened, unfortunately, a few times when they were couples that I had married. But I always make a point, whether it's in the marriage ceremony or in the premarital counseling, of stressing the fact that you are taking an oath unto the Lord that you are going to stay together in marriage. And on the rare occasions where they've come back and they say, Pastor Stan, we just can't do it. And I say, well, that's fine. Are you prepared to break the oath you made before God? I'm the one who administered that oath, so I know you made it. Well, did you think I was just making small talk? Marriage is a sacrament. And there's no more important function you can have in a community or in society as to raise children in the ways of the Lord. And be a husband and wife that are husbands and wives unto the Lord. It's a sacrament. It is an order of creation. It started in the garden. And you are no exception. To that. Now I'll just a little little biography here. I'm, I don't want to tell my story, but one of the reasons 
uh, why I'm not at Calvary anymore is I went through a divorce. And I'm telling you, that was something that had collateral damages and consequences that were far beyond whatever I could imagine. Now God is gracious and good. Take a look at that woman right there. Didn't God do good in giving her to me as a second chance? Wasn't he gracious and wonderful? And God has restored my life and done so many wonderful things. But what I'm trying to say, but the reason why I said that, is when I was going through all of this turmoil, and I was pastoring a thriving church, but I, I listened to the devil. I know what the Bible says. But in your situation, God is going to make an exception. Yeah, you know. I was wrong. I was wrong. But your marriage is a sacrament. And try harder. Now, I understand that there are times, abandonment, Faithfulness. There are times when you have to take a mulligan on a marriage. I understand that, and God understands that too. But that's rare. And God intends for you to make it together. Here we come to the last of the sacraments, and we're going to communion right after this. Communion. When I was going through my midnight of the soul, when I had the train wreck in my own life, and, and I, I'm saying this, not to elicit sympathy or anything like that because God has been so merciful, so good and in restoring so many things in, in my life and my family and just on and on it goes. But there was a time where I lost everything. I lost my family. I lost the respect of my congregation. I lost the respect of my kids. I was unemployed. On and on it went. God provided remarkably. I was well-known in the city of Las Vegas. I mean, I wasn't a celebrity, but I, I was well-known pastor, a very prominent church at the time. And I couldn't go to another Assembly of God church or Pentecostal church because people would recognize me. I couldn't walk through Walmart without people recognizing me. And so I thought, where can I go? And um, Elizabeth Ann Seton Catholic Church in Summerlin, big church, you know, I could slip in there and nobody would ever recognize me. And I started doing that. And I kept going back and going back. Because in my theological training, and I've had a lot of that, most Christians, for most of the centuries, in most places around the world, have taught and believed that there is a real presence of Christ when we in faith partake of these communion elements. Here's the scripture that goes with that. And when Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body. After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. 
He goes on to say, for this reason, many are sick and some have even died. If there's nothing of substance here, why would you get sick if you took of the cup and ate of the bread? And I realize that's not part of our Assemblies of God doctrine. And I don't want to get into all the theories on this. But Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. And at a point in my life where I needed to be able to count on the fact that the presence of God promised to be with me, whether I felt it or not, I needed that. And I couldn't wait at the close of Mass. And I found out later I was illegal in doing this. You're supposed to be a baptized Catholic to take the communion. So lightning didn't strike me. But I couldn't wait to be a part of those that went down to the front. And there were thousands that were there. And everybody drank from the common cup. But I'm, I'm just telling you, it was electric. I remember, I, I remember one mass that I was there. And I was just broken and torn apart inside from everything I was going through. And at that church, I haven't, sometime I'm going to go back and see if it's still there, but they had at least a life-size, major, maybe larger than life-size crucifix with Christ hanging on the cross at kind of a 45-degree angle where he's looking down over the congregation. And I was just torn apart inside of everything I was going through. One good thing, I was running to the Lord and not running from the Lord. But I'm telling you, it was probably just my imagination, but the Holy Spirit used it. Just before communion, and I knew the words that were coming, I looked up at that crucifix. And Jesus turned his head and looked down at me. And I'm telling you, I couldn't wait every Sunday to go up and have that priest hold that cup up and say, the host, the body of Christ that is broken for you. And then you go to the next one, the blood of Christ that is shed for you. And I'm telling you, that became the presence of Christ made manifest in my life to see me through a very difficult, maybe the most difficult time I've ever passed through in my life. And so, I just want to leave this thought with you and then we're going to receive communion together. <clears throat> Boy, we've had three or four of the sacraments we've participated in right here. We've looked to the Word. It's a sacrament. We're in church. It's a sacrament. You've heard a message. It's a sacrament. We're going to receive communion. It's a sacrament. And I don't know what's happening in your lives right now. It's none of my business. That's between you and the Lord. <clears throat> but I'm here to tell you that the Holy Spirit promises to meet us 
when we encounter him where he says he can be found. Now he can speak to us in a thousand ways. I know that. But these are proven ways which scripturally the presence of Christ is promised to be here with us. So I want you just to spend this time just inviting the Holy Spirit to come and minister to you. Now I'm not sure how we get the